Welcome to the Primal Foundations Podcast. I'm your host, Tony Pascola. We will dive into what I believe are the four central foundations you need for a healthy lifestyle. Strength, nutrition, movement, and recovery. Get ready to unlock your path to optimal health and enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Primal Foundations Podcast. I'm your host, Tony Pascola. Our guest today is Fabio Zonin a former powerlifter and natural bodybuilder. Fabio was a master teacher for the Italian Federation of Fitness for almost two decades and former vice president of the Italian Association of Natural Bodybuilding. Fabio is also a Strong First certified master instructor and the author of several books and manuals dedicated to fitness, bodybuilding, and strength training. Fabio, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for inviting me, Tony. This great pleasure and honor to be here. So, yeah. So, where are you coming from currently? Uh, I'm currently based in Vicenza, a small town close to Venice, northeast of Italy. This is where I'm based, where I live. Uh, actually, yeah. I sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Most of uh, what happens in my life happens abroad. So, uh, yeah, you're always traveling and you're always doing your different certifications and uh, you know, I have to tell the story of how how I actually first met you was SFL last April at Barbell, and we, me and my group, within the first five ten minutes of uh, instruction, we looked at each other. We're like, we don't know shit about a barbell. <laughs> we're like, this is crazy. It was so good, and I think the first two hours we just were going over a zercher squat, and we learned so much. And I, I tell everybody, if you're going to do a certification, if barbell, whatever, do it with Fabio. And um, and also one of the things that I just stuck out of my head was you stayed until they kicked us out, you know, at the dome. We stayed all the way until they kicked us out. And then you told us like, hey, I'll come in the morning early if you guys are going to come. And we're all like, yes. And you, and you uh, made sure to be there. You were there like an hour or two early and we got oh, so much more information. And that was just like a really good, just for me, watching you doing those types of things. I was like, wow, that's that's an instructor that I want to be. And um, it just shows a really good sign of a coach. So thank you for that certification. And that, that whole weekend was phenomenal. So thank you. Thank you for your very kind words. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the way I see being a coach or instructor is your focus should be your students, mm-hmm. not your schedule. You know, so, I mean, I, I traveled from Italy to Chicago to teach a cert. And uh, no, no matter what, my flights leave at the same time on the same day. Mm-hmm. So uh, people have invested a lot of, well, uh, money also, but time, commitment, training, to come and attend the certification. So whatever I have, I'm going to share everything I have to share, and I'm not going to look at the clock. You know, the yeah. uh, idea is delivering the information. The goal is, you know, the goal is not uh, showing that you know your stuff. The goal is making sure that you deliver the information, and the students get all the answers they uh, they are looking for to their questions. And so that that's why I do it this way. Seriously. I, I like to deliver uh, as much as I can. And you said one thing, you know, you said we found out we knew nothing about barbell. <laughs> I'm into this. Now, this year is going to be my, 
in 2020, well, to, this year is my 40th into lifting barbells. Wow. So 2024 will be 41 years. And I'm still trying to learn about barbells. You know, there's still, there's still so much to learn. And what makes it interesting is that, you know, unlike other tools, uh, barbells are taken for granted usually. I mean, if you go to a calisthenic cert or a uh, cannibal cert, you go with a spirit, like uh, with a mindset, like I got to learn a lot. I don't know the tool. I don't know how to use properly a kettlebell and so on. But barbell, you know, we're exposed to barbells since we're, you know, in our teens. And so, well, you just, you know, you pick it up and you press it or you pull it or you do your things. But there's so many subtleties, so many details that uh, are often overlooked. And so if you really dive deep into it, you find that small subtleties uh, make the difference. They really do. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. I think I, I took the cert certification one because I wanted to get better at barbell for not necessarily myself, but for clients because we program a lot of barbell work, and you see it in group fitness classes. I've have clients that want to use the barbell, and I just wanted to get more instruction and, and just know what I'm doing and just have a better understanding. But now I'm like, after the certification, I use the barbell a lot because I feel more comfortable with it. And like you said, those little details all the way through make a huge difference. Like I was, I can't get in the front rack position for the squat and just the zombie and the uh, bodybuilder front rack squat. That's changed my game completely. And I've never knew how to do any of that stuff. So that that's awesome. But, but going into... You, you know, your 40 years of fitness and, you know, working with the barbell. So how did you, how did you get into strength training and what are some of the, the crucial points along the way, uh, you know, meeting Pavel, RKC kind of, and becoming this uh, certified uh, strong first instructor? It's interesting because it all happened. Most of it happened by pure chance. I, I never plan one day I'm going to be a master, you know, or something like that or anything like that. I just, um, I started training with the same uh, purposes that everyone has. I wanted to, you know, basically when I, I was 13, when I entered my first gym, I was, I wanted to look better, you know, look fitter, build some muscles. Uh, those motivations that, you know, push most of the uh, teens into uh, going to the gym. And uh, I ended up in a in a in a in a gym that was owned by a um, weightlifting coach, weightlifting and powerlifting coach, uh, who did not like bodybuilding at all. Uh, and so basically, um, he was coaching uh, for the time national level athletes, you know. And so he, my foundations were into strength training with the barbell, and. Um, Again, my goals initially were just, you know, building my packs and my guns because I wanted to show off at the beach. But, you know, I started getting good results from the beginning. And hence, I got interested into strength way more. Uh, up to the point that when I was like 15, I did my first uh, powerlifting meet. I don't even know if in Italy now they allow someone that age to, <laughs> to compete. But at the time, I did it. And I got a solid third place in the uh, Northern Italian Championship. So I was, they said, oh, you, 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 you got the cards here. 
even though at the time I was more interested in the bench, you know, rather than the squat and deadlift, because my goal was still looking good, you know, in a, in a tank top, you know, and, and so on. But um, so I competed in powerlifting uh, those early years, but then I got pulled uh, to another gym. It was basically, uh, they had weightlifting, powerlifting, but also bodybuilding gym. And they convinced me to uh, do some bodybuilding uh uh, bodybuilding competition i think it is the first one 16 years old and um so i just switched from uh powerlifting to bodybuilding because well you know again at that age this is basically what you're looking for uh interesting so i did keep competing to powerlifting uh but as a side dish you know i was strong i was strong especially in the bench uh and so my focus was bodybuilding, but I would do some powerlifting. And uh, so I kept competing in natural bodybuilding and powerlifting uh, until, I think, 1994. And it was, the interesting part is that at the time, you know, there were no clues, no, no cues on what was right and what was wrong. Meaning that uh, I recall, uh, I used to ask my coach, how do you squat properly? And he goes, well, you put the bar in your shoulders, you squat down, you come back up. You know, so, yeah, but I mean, uh, where should I place the bar? On your shoulders. Yeah, but higher, lower, on your shoulders. Just squat down, come back up. But what about the stance? Uh, just a stance that allows you to squat down and come back up. But what about, you know, breathing? Uh, just breathe in and breathe out. <laughs> that was pretty much instruction, right? So I, I recall one day asking, listen, but how do I know if I'm doing it right or wrong? He goes, as long as you can are able to come up from the hole, you're right. If you're not able to, you do something wrong. Basically, this was so. Of course, uh, I got injured. I got my first uh, herniated disc when I was 18 because we had no idea of form. And think about this: there was no internet at the time, right? There was no science. Uh, there were no books, so it was just word of mouth of coaches, telling coaches of people who've been traveling had the chance, you know to go to the U.S. or other states, other countries, and learn something from someone. It was basically word of mouth. Sometimes we, we could get a magazine from the U.S., and that was a source of information, one issue of a magazine, right? So we knew nothing, basically. So I got hurt, and um, that told me, you know what? I got to start learning more about this. So uh, the first books were coming out, the first certifications I started, you know, I was doing total different stuff. I was studying electronic engineering when I was in college. So totally different. That was my passion. So I moved fast forward into that time. I did take some certs uh, for like personal training certification, the first ones that were available. And um and then at some point, I met one person who was uh, managing a, a gym, which is run by the uh, Italian Olympic Committee, who uh, saw something in me. So he gave me some chances to help out at the gym, let's say, help out at the gym, right? And he taught me a lot of things. He was a master of sports here in Italy. He was a very smart, smart coach. And so he gave me some chances. And then I just said, at some point, he told me, you know what? Do you like what you're studying in college? I said, no, not at all. So why do you do it? Uh, what would you like to do? I'd like to do this. He said, well, you know, you should consider it. 
my parents weren't weren't too happy, but I kind of switched. I gave up college and started, you know, I switched my my interest toward the gym. And I kept, you know, whatever sources, the poor sources we had, you know, we had, I started studying and so on. And at a certain point, I was hired by the Italian Federation of Fitness, first as an assistant and then as a coach. And then I became one of the instructors. And through the years, I climbed up and became one of their master instructors, part of the uh, um, the, their scientific board. You know, I started studying uh, college again. I studied pharmacy. Uh, so totally different stuff. By the way, here, pharmacy was the only way to study how the body functions without doing medicine. Medicine, you need to attend all the time here in Italy, which means that there was no way for me to be able to carry on working at the gym, teaching a cert. And so pharmacy was the good compromise where I could study and learn how the body functions, you know, and um, and at the same time, you know, do my job. And so, so my first very important encounter was this coach, Carlo Gambarini, who got me into this. And the second one, I I basically went to see a coach for myself. Um, this coach was coaching me for a bodybuilding competition. But this coach, Marco Neri, was had uh, multiple, was wearing multiple hats. He was um, the vice president of the Italian Federation of Fitness. So he got me into that. This is how I became part of it. But he was also a very accomplished, he's still nutritionist. At the time, he was working with Ferrari and Barrichello, so, you know, and Ducati racing team. So, very smart man. So, he was uh, my second mentor, who uh, I learned so much from him. And then, so I kept working for the Town Federation of Fitness. And what I was doing, I was teaching, you know, uh, fitness instructor courses, bodybuilding instructor courses, personal training, and so on. But I wasn't satisfied because my uh, still, you know, my background, the way I was seeing, you know, bodybuilding was kind of what they call now power bodybuilding, which is, you know, made based on the fun, fun, foundational movements with the bar, you know, rather than using machines and so on. And at a certain point, I, I went to meet Pavel at the workshop and I fell in love with the system. But at the time, you know, I was already a teacher, a known teacher here in Italy for certifications for barbells. And when I met Pavel, I had that feeling like I know nothing about barbells. So, you know, so I said, okay, it's 20 years I'm into barbells. I know nothing about barbells. There's something going wrong here, actually. So I I started following Pavel. I did the RKC cert. You know, I got into kettlebells. I found out kettlebells are incredible. For your strength and uh, complement the barbell training so well. And um, I just got into the system. But my idea was being a student. You know, I could never imagine that one day I'll be working for the RKC. But one at some point, I got this email saying, uh, we'd like to promote you to leader. And I was like, amazed. Because I didn't expect it. You know, not at all. And... Uh, it, and everything came into a time in which I was fairly unsatisfied with the direction I was taking with the Italian Federation of Fitness because it was more about, you know, selling courses than uh, doing quality work. And um, I really wanted to grow and learn, you know, and I was realizing that I was teaching the same things over and over. We were always there. It was stagnant. So I decided to invest, you know, that was around, you know, I started from 2000 and 
2009 until 2012, I think I traveled everywhere and I took any course I could. I mean, I got certified CrossFit. I did something with TechFit. I, you know, I did. I wanted to learn 360 degrees as much as I could. And uh, I tried to speak with experts in barbell training, kettlebell training, functional training, calisthenics, whatever. Whoever I could meet, I would try to go and learn. And then there was transition between the RTC and Strong First, and I, I followed Pavel. I gave up the Italian Federation of Fitness, and I decided to license Strong First in my country. So this is basically how I proceeded. And um, my goal has always been, you know, becoming a better coach and uh, learning more. And I'm realizing, I mean, I was at the worship, basic cannibal worship this past weekend together, and I had some assistant instructors, you know, some cannibal uh, strong first uh, elite or level two or level one instructors. And I gave them a little course to teach. And I realized I learned something from them. I mean, guys who don't have as much experience as they have, they still have something to say, something that you don't know. Everyone, you know, has something that you don't know. So you learn from everyone. I, I, I qualify myself as a student and as someone who shares the information he learns rather than a teacher, you know, or a master, you know, master sounds like I'm an old man, you know, I don't like that. Um, it's a never ending journey based. It's a never ending journey. And I'm, I'm still part of that journey. I'm still enjoying it a lot. I'm still researching, I'm still studying, I'm still trying to improve. But there is, you know, the goal is not my training, my competition anymore. My, my goal is finding new material and finding the best way to deliver it to make it understandable and usable from the next day. That's pretty much it. Long story. No, yeah. It, it seemed like as you're going through just uh, investigating different types of trainings and kind of finding your way to what you feel is the right way or the right certifications, uh, just opportunity. You just, just kept meeting different opportunities because of your pursuit of education. And that got you to the place that you are today. And a lot of people, a lot of people say things about, Oh, it's luck. It's luck. You know, you know, I'm lucky, but you gotta be, you gotta be ready for those opportunities and seemed like you were ready for each one of those opportunities to get to the level that you are today. Um, with now you're with strong first. Uh, when you hear these three phrases, what what comes to your mind? I am a student of strength. I'm a quiet professional. Strength has a greater purpose. You know this is probably the reasons for which I wanted to stay with strong first. This code, it was longer at the time than the RKC. You know, but what amazed me at the time was that when I took my RKC, what shocked me. In addition to the instruction, totally different way of you know delivering information, more hands-on rather than just you know seeing people presenting a PowerPoint, you know, doing things, you know, leading by example, several things. But what amazed me was the code of conduct that we had at the beginning, because it was exactly what I was looking for. And um, so when we switched from the RTC to Strong First, we condensed it in those three things. And um, if you think about this, you know, I am a student of strength. This is point number one. I mean, uh, if there's not, there's no students and teachers. There's no distinction there. We're all students. If you are in a position in which you're teaching something, you're simply sharing 
what you learned up to that point, up to that day, right? But you're ready to learn more and be able to share more. But it's always an interaction. I mean, when we were in Chicago for the SFO, you guys don't can't even imagine how much I learned from you guys. Because I was watching the way you moved, right? I was watching what how my words, my instruction would make, would change the way you would move, and I would analyze it, and I would learn how to deliver better deliver the same information to make it go through, but at the same time, looking at movement, you know, or some everyone builds their own technique or way, you know, to uh, rip the bar, to move, to set up, to walk back. And watching that also cues that you give each other, you know, as you recall, you were in small groups on a power rack and you would coach each other. So looking the way you were coaching each other, I could get a sentence, a phrase, an idea or something I didn't know that sound good for me. So I would, you know, just increase my knowledge and I would ready to share that for the next cert. So you go to a cert, you deliver information and you learn at the same time. So the idea of classifying a strong first instructor as a student, to me is brilliant. It provides exactly the idea of what a, a coach should be. Coach learns from their students and uses this new information to make their students better, right? So this is point number one. Uh, point number two, the way I carry my strength matters. It's also so important. In the old RKC code, uh, we said there was a different phrase, sentence that said, uh, my job is to teach, not to impress, right? So, I mean, we're there, right? We're all same level. I mean, yes, I'm the coach. I just lifted for more years than you did. Uh, if I'm there, if someone put me there, of course I know my, my stuff, right? Um, I don't need to show you what I know or I'm able to do. Uh, my goal is, is, is not, I mean, it's not about me. It's about the students. So my goal is not to uh, impress the student, give the idea that I'm super strong, super skilled, super knowledgeable, and so on. My goal is you guys need to get as much information as you can from me. So the way I behave in front of people, the way I carry my strength matters a lot. Uh, and this ties into I'm a quiet professional, right? Uh, we don't, I don't like, you know, I see you on social media, you know, people post some information and there's all those comments, you know, pros and cons, people shouting at each other and so on. Seriously, uh, I like one sentence that Powell said once, he said, you know, I'm not saying you're wrong. I just know I'm right, which we may both be right. I mean, I have my ideas. I know I'm doing the right thing. I, I don't need to argue with you or anything. So the way I conduct myself in private life, in public life, on social media matters a lot. And so that's, those are the three crucial points. And I agree with all of them. Again, one of the main reasons for which I wanted to stick with the school, you know, in addition to one thing, which is 
Now, in, in Italy, you know, and Europe, we had a lot of influence from uh, the East and uh, old communism, you know, and the idea, especially here in Italy after, you know, World War II, after what happened with, you know, uh, Mussolini and so on. And we had this uh, uh, communism idea for which everyone is the same. And so reward, there's no reward. We're all the same, and so we all deserve the same, and so on. So if you work more, you try to deliver more, you know, you're in a situation in which others tell you to stop. Hey, 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 why do you want to deliver more? Because if you do it, I'll have to do the same, right? It's not, not good. You're not rewarded, but they try to hit you, right? Well, the uh, Western idea is what you have in the U.S., what I saw in the U.S. is if you do a good job, you're rewarded. So you're appealed to do, to give the best you can, you know. And something that I found in strong first is that uh, people that grow into the system, to the school, make it either, either become better coaches or make a career are people who deserve. We don't look at politics. We don't look at anything else. If you represent the system, if you can provide a good contribution to the system, the knowledge, uh, you know, new information and so on, you'll make your way strong first, which is something that is very uncommon here in Europe, in certain countries, especially. So I love the idea of, of this. Um, I, I was rewarded. I was blessed. You said one thing before, you know, they say it's luck. Yes, it is. It is also luck. You know, in my opinion, the road to to be uh, successful, uh, there are three elements. One, you need to have the skills. But second, you need to be consistent. You know, you keep doing the same things over and over and over, only better and better and better. So you got to be skilled. <laughs> you got to be consistent and committed all the time. But then you need to have opportunities. I mean, and think about this. Without all the three, it's like the beast team or challenge. You can't make it because if you have the opportunities, but you're not skilled, you know, don't go anywhere. If you have the opportunities and you have the skills, but you're not someone who's committed and consistent, you go nowhere. If you're committed and consistent and you have the opportunities, but you don't have the skills, it doesn't, doesn't matter how you turn it around. You need the three things. So I was blessed. I was lucky. And the way I see it right now is that I need to give opportunities to others. There's so many incredible coaches, incredible minds around there who never get the chance, never get the opportunity. And I love the idea of saying, I'm proud that I know that some people grew in our system that now are you know, country leaders or team leaders or seniors and so on, was because I pointed them out and said, hey, look at that guy. Look at that lady. They're great. They deserve to be brought up to attention, you know, they got something to say. And so this is something I love about, about our system. The fact that um, you're rewarded if you have something to say and something to share and, you know, to help the uh, school, the system grow. I love the whole premise of it's a, it's a school of strength and, the instructors have to meet these standards in order to get the certifications. And, you know, out in the States, you got uh, ACE, NASM, all these other certifications, which, which are fine. You get the certification CSCS, 
uh, which is great, but you can just take the test. Don't really have to, if you can study very well, or you're really good at um, taking tests, you can pass it. But for a strong first, you have to actually not only talk the talk, you got to walk the walk. And and that's why I love everything about strong first. And also you made a point. I'm not there to impress you, which a lot of coaches will go is like, Hey, check out how much I can squat. I'm, I'm the man, you know, and and they want to do that and show off. And we are professionals and we want to, you know, we're fitness professionals. We want to show that we can do the things, but we don't need to do that. We don't need to show off and, and showboat. We just, uh, I love that whole thing. I am a quiet professional. Um, going into some, some training pieces. And this is one thing I would, I would love to hear your, your thoughts on. I, I train when I train, I'm training, I would say 60 to 80% of my, like a five rep max. And I kind of, I'm, I'm pretty intuitive now. I don't really follow a plan, but when I tell other, you know, fitness professionals or even my clients, when I program for them, they're like, I want to go heavier. I want to go heavier. It's, it's really hard for them to understand um, that going lighter, you know, a light to moderate weight is, is more, is better for them. So what, what are your thoughts on what is the right intensity and the right amount of effort um, for somebody who's looking to develop strength? You said it right, because we have to distinguish the intensity and the effort. Uh, and in several, you know, uh, in our industry, they're often confused or merged together. So, for instance, most think that effort is intensity. How hard it was is different. Intensity is the amount of weight. We use relative intensity, which is the amount of weight in relation to one rep max, like, you know, 70% of one rep max, 80% and so on. Or if you don't know your one rep max, which you don't really have to, unless you're, you know, powerlifter or anything like that, you can use your RM, like your 5RM or your 6RM or 8RM and so on. So that's pretty much the weight compared to your maximum capacity in one rep max is the intensity. The effort is how hard you push a given set, right? So let me give you an example. Let's say that you, you can lift 100. I want to use 100 because it's easy, right? And you use an intensity of 85%. So 85 kilos, pounds, whatever that is. And let's say that with that weight, you're able to complete five reps. So the intensity is 85%. Now, if you do sets of five, your effort is 100%. You're really pushing yourself to the limit to the point in which you reach failure at some point. But if you only do set of three, right, you have some, either at least someone call it buffer, some call, call it reps in reserve, but the effort is lower, right? It's probably round. If you do four reps, right, on a 5RM, you're basically working with an effort of 80%, pretty much. So this is the point. Now, there are in levels of intensity that have shown to be effective in strength training, most effective, and levels of effort also. So we have covered them separately because they're, in fact, two separate things. So uh, levels of intensity that has shown to have strength are pretty much from 70 to um, 85% of one rep max. Those are the ones that deliver the most. 
You may train above 85%, but this needs to happen occasionally and with low volumes. And I'm going to explain this in a very easy way. Now, we learn a skill, any skill, through repetition, correct? And also, uh, this is so, for the skill, you need to accomplish a certain amount of volume. If you work only 90% of one rep max, 95, it's 100%, you can basically only do singles. And you can tolerate probably, you know, up to four, six sets. So where's the volume? So this is not going to help your skill at all. For strength and for hypertrophy, you need some mechanical strength, uh, stress. Again, to get enough mechanical strength, you need some time under tension, which with singles, you do get a lot of tension, but you don't get the time, right? So, <laughs> of course, you got to go lower. Mm. Uh, so this is why that, you know, 70 to 85 works. If you go below 70%, problem is that may not be heavy enough to provide neither the uh, uh, mechanical uh, uh, stress on your fibers, but not only that, but also you may not recruit enough motor units of fibers to properly train your muscles for strength, neither your nervous system. So too light, you can do a lot of volume, but it doesn't work. It's like, you know, people who try to do like 50 push-ups, 100 push-ups. Uh, it's kind of interesting for strength endurance, but you won't get stronger, right? Uh, so too light doesn't work because you can do a lot of volume, but the intensity and the stress is not high enough. If you go too heavy, you get the tension, but you don't get the volume in. So that 70 to 85 is that range that allows you to accomplish a lot of volume with good form. And at the same time, it's heavy enough to provide results in terms of strength training or strength and or hypertrophy. More strength towards, you know, 80, 85, more hypertrophy towards the 70 and so on. Now let's talk about the effort. Uh, so going high effort leads to two problems. Imagine this. Imagine that you work with your 5 RM in the bench press, right? And you really push your set to five reps. Uh, then you take your usual rest. After a, a ordinary rest, would you be able to do, again, five reps with the same weight? Probably not, right? You'll probably do four or three. And if you still go with maximal effort, following set, you'll probably do two or three, and then one. So within three or four sets, you're completely exhausted. So the volume you can accomplish is fairly small. But at the same time, also, your first set of five, quality of reps, probably the first four will be good, and the fifth will not be so good. But the second set and third set, three go, go sideways. So you probably end up doing only 40, 50% of your reps with quality and technique. And the others will be with some form of compensation. So it will not be very good reps. So you don't get much volume. You don't get much quality. But if you work, let's say with, you know, instead of with a 5RM, you do set to three, right? Uh, so you keep a couple of sets of reps in the bank. So the effort is low. It's about you know, 75% uh, of the total effort. And what happens? After the first set, 
you can do a second and then the third. You're probably able to like five sets of three or six sets of three. Uh, so the volume that you accomplish will be higher, but also the quality of the mood will be better because all red food are perfect. And there's another thing. You won't be sore the following day, which means that you can train to save movement the following day, which you couldn't do if you went all out. So again, uh, medium intensity and medium efforts are the best for building long-term strength and also stay safe. And while there is a space for heavy intensity and hard effort, occasionally in what they call the peaking phases, which means that you get ready for a maximum effort, but you probably do that for no longer than two weeks in a row, then you get peaking strength and then you need to back off. Otherwise, your nervous system will basically shut down. So long-term long -term strength, medium intensities, medium effort are the best. Peaking, you can go heavy occasionally a couple of weeks. And that's pretty much, this is pretty much the idea if you want things to work well for you. But also, it's also about safety. People don't consider this, you know. I start getting this now in my 50s, you know, is that you want to avoid getting injured because you made progress for months, for years, you know, but one major injury, you'll go back 10 years. And it'll take you, you know, years to get back there. So when I injured my shoulder, you know, by the time I couldn't train because I was in pain, acute face, by the time I was trying to work around it, by the time I got surgery, by the time I recovered, it took three years out of my uh, life, you know, three, three years with regression, you know. And so three years after the, that injure, injury, I was basically at the same point. That's no good. So training them in a way that, you know, prevents you from getting injured. Of course, you know, you may, you know, run under a bus. That's a different story. But uh, external factors may injure you. That's a different story. But if you if you manage your injury yourself, that's not smart, right? Because you may experience some progress for a while, but then you just go back. And in, in the long term, you know, it's like, do you, I don't know if you have the tail of the... Um, Turtle and the rabbit in the U.S. Yeah, oh uh, yeah, the uh, yeah. tortoise, tortoise and the hare. Okay, so basically, at the end, uh, even if the turtle goes slower, reaches the same point at the same time overall. So a long, a long period. So again, this is a reason for which you know people should refrain, refrain themselves. I do believe one thing though, and I understand because I fell into the same you know mistakes in which everyone does. Uh, it's hard to convince a client, a student, you know, to back off a little bit, you know, not push too hard at the beginning because they want to. And everybody thinks it's invincible. You know, you never think you'll get injured one day. You never think you'll die one day. You don't think your age, but it's going to happen to everyone. Uh, you do need an injury at a certain point. Only hoping is not a major one, you know. Uh, sometimes, you know, when I see people that don't listen and push all the time, I said, well, you didn't get injured yet. <laughs> Not enough. You need one, you know, it's less just like just eating 
it's like it's like eating mushrooms. You know, uh, you can eat mushrooms all the time, but there's certain mushrooms you only eat once. So that's pretty much the idea. <laughs> you, you get a bad mushroom, you you spend a couple of nights in hospital, mm-hmm. and then you'll be very careful about eating mushrooms since then. That's pretty much the same idea. Yeah, uh, that's the mind shift. The, the the mind shift and the culture shift of, and you mentioned it of of this high intensity. It needs to be very few and far between. Where a lot of clients want to get there all the time, every workout, and then also trainers want to program that way too often. And that's something. It's a it's a culture and and just this mindset that we have to get to because people burn out they get injured. We wonder why people don't come back to the gym after a while. It's just, well, if I'm redlining every single class, I'm going to be hurt, tired, sore, and my body's going to be like, I don't want to do that anymore. So my motivation is going to be gone as well. Uh, And and talking about kind of the rep schemes, I I like ladders. I'm I'm a fan of ladders. If you can kind of talk about what, what makes ladders so effective in these low rep ladders and and why don't we see um people work downward of the ladders for example uh, i see a lot in strong first uh programming a ladder of two reps three reps five reps working our way up versus down yeah and I, you know i it's interesting because uh, i also teach here in italy for a, a school called sustainable bodybuilding so it's a natural bodybuilding school for you know competing athletes and i always get this question about why do you do two, three, five, and not five, three, two? It makes more sense to me, right? So let's talk about ladders first. Now, ladders, it's interesting because it's a way of make that sort of rest is built in your sets. So, and I've experienced this now. So I'm testing a new type of plan right now, which is focused more on hypertrophy. And I switched from ladders of two, three, five. Now I'm doing all sets of five. And I mean, ladders of two, three, five, I could manage to do like 15, 18 sets in a row. Six sets of five are a killer because all sets are committing, right? So the idea is, uh, first, a little premise. Um, one thing that strong first we picked up from the Soviet system is that the range of reps that is effective is from one-third to two-thirds of your RM. So let's say that you, I'm going to use an easy number to make it easy. Let's say that your RM with a given exercise, given weight is nine reps. So you could do nine all out. We would we always prescribe no less than three, one-third, no more than six, two-thirds. Why? If you go to, if you less than three, not effective. More than six, you get close to nine to the point of failure, you start accumulating fatigue. So after a couple of sets, you're burned. So in that range, three to nine, the other guideline is vary the reps within that range from set to set. This is how the ladders came up. And the idea is, let's say you do a set of two and a set of three and a set of five. Now you could do, if you do, Five sets of five, you do basically, oh, then let's say if you do six sets of five, you do 30 reps, right? If you do three ladders of two, three, five, which is nine sets, you still do 30 reps. But those nine sets are less committing 
uh, in terms of effort than the six set of five. Why? In six set of five, six sets of five, they're all five reps. So they're all committed. In two, three, five, two, three, five, you only get out of nine sets, only three are really committing, the three sets of five. The sets of three are, okay, the sets of two are really easy. So basically, you, those are resting sets. The way they're put in is that you do your first set of two, easy. Second set of three, interestingly, should be more committing, but you got some neural activation in set of two, it's going to be easy. Set of five is committing, but after that, you drop down to two, so you get a resting set. So you kind of you know rest as you do in a set, and you build up to three and five again, and so on. If you do the opposite, if you start with set of five, when you do the set of three, you're you're still tired from the set of five. It's a gradual, and then you do a set of two, you just did three, so you're even tired. And then you got another set of five. So five, three, two, very interesting for bodybuilding, you know. But then, they, you know, they do a set of 12, 10, 8. Because the idea in bodybuilding for hypertrophy is keeping the effort high all the time and go as close to exhaustion as you can. I didn't say failure, I said exhaustion as much as you can. That is good for hypertrophy, but it's not good for strength or accomplishing high volumes. So reversing it, 2, 3, 5, allows you to accomplish more volume and fatigue less. So better for strength. In my belief, is just as good as the opposite, also for hypertrophy. Uh, you know, bodybuilders always look to the all-out sets. When I train bodybuilders, I do all the uh, neurological, you know, neural and mechanical work in the beginning. I do believe some sets to push to exhaustion are needed for bodybuilders because they need different types of hypertrophy. But I simply put that those at the end of the training session. So I use the same approaches for strength in ladders and so on. And then I add some extra stuff at the end eventually. Yeah, that's a great distinction between uh, hypertrophy and strength. Most, I would say more commonly are the ladders that go down. I'm going to start at this, this rep count. I'm going to go down, but I'm going to, I'm going to add more weight just to exhaust the muscles, which are going to make them bigger right? You're going to look better. But if we're talking just pure strength, I don't think a majority of the population knows that I can do two, three, five and rest and recover. And I'm going to get strong as shit. They, they don't know that. And I, I love uh, the distinction between um, pure strength and also hypertrophy. You mentioned the Soviet um, kind of, you stole kind of the rep scheme from the Soviet um, era or Soviet training programs. Can you talk about the Soviet tra training program uh, or programming and the the distinction between that and more commonly in the States, you see a focus on the progressive overload. Yeah. It's uh, <coughs> probably did a lot of research on this. And on my end, at the time, I, I, get the, I had the luck of meeting in person Bobby Shako, who was the uh, uh, power the, uh, coach for the Russian national uh, powerlifting team. So in later days and but they use the same system he applied to powerlifting what you know soviets used to do weightlifting in the uh, 70s and the 80s basically and uh it's completely different because it's what they call they call it variable overload while we're used to use progressive overload and just to make things clear i use them both 
I mean, I like both systems. So what we tend to do is usually we start light and we progress going heavy. So the intensity is the main variant. Whether it increases linearly or in steps or in waves, you start light and you end up low and heavy. And usually the volume starts high. And as you go heavier, the volume goes low. <laughs> and it's either, again, either linear or in steps or wave, but still, this is the ongoing of the intensity. Uh, variable overload is totally different. Uh, first of all, the main variant is not the intensity anymore, but it's volume. So the intensity, basically, while what we do, we start with light weight, we gradually increase it in the Soviet system, they always use light, medium, and heavy weights all the time, the entire progression. So you're always used to heavy weights, right? Uh, but the average intensity, the average of what they do is always medium, uh, which is, you know, according to what your goal is from, you know, 67% of one rep max to 73, 79, 80% of one rep max. So it's always that range. But instead of being that range that we mentioned before, you know, 70 to 85, the effective range, always worked from 67 to 80, more or less. But that's the average. It means that you always have some heavy lifts, medium lifts, light lifts, but their average leads to that, that average intensity. But the main variant is the volume. So what you basically do, and this you do it not only from month to month, but also from week to week, and also from session to session, you vary the volume by a very specific amount, no less than 20%. In going up or going down, what does this mean? If today, today I did my deadlift, and I did 10 reps, and I'm doing deadlift in three days from now, if I did 10 today, next time will be either less than 8 or more than 12. So we need to get the 20%. And you keep waving up and down, up and down like this. And um, so basically you vary the volume. So you vary it from, so if today I did 10, 10 reps, going to be either 12 or more or 8. So for instance, I did 10 today and I decide to do 7 next session. The following session, 20% of seven is 1.4. So either I do uh, 5.6 or I do, you know, 8.4 or more. So next session, I may decide to do even, you know, 12 and so on and so forth. I keep waving it. But it's interestingly, when you factor then the volume that you have accomplished in one week, let's say in one week you did 50 reps, the following week is going to be either more than 60 or less than 40. And if in a given month you did 400 reps, the following month is going to be either, you know, uh, less than 320 or uh, more than uh, uh, 500, um, uh, 480. So that's the way it works. You keep waving it. And you keep going like that. It's except when you do a peaking phase where basically you taper down the volume that's more, get, becomes more similar to what we do in the West. But it's very interesting, and it's it's shocking, right? So one idea is given the time to the body to adapt. So you increase gradually the weight and so on. And the other idea is shocking the system, you know, shocking the system, which means that 
you don't really uh, expect what's going to happen. So some sessions become super light, like you go in the gym, you do two sets. You say, I did nothing today. And some session, you just drag yourself out of the gym, you know, and you're ready to go to sleep right away, grab for a meal and so on. And it's, it works like magic because you, you, keep, you keep adapting. It's interesting because, you know, as you adapt to a stimuli, the stimuli doesn't work anymore. So you you keep trying to adapt, but you never reach it. So you keep the, this adaptation pr- process keep going. And then there is another principle in a, a variable overload, which is that intensity and volume are uncoupled. What does that mean? Again, in our in the, I say our system because the Western system, as we increase the intensity and the weight, we reduce the volume. What they do uh, is. It's random. So they plan the intensity and then they plan the volume separately without even looking at one each other. And then they put it together and whatever happens, happens. Which means that some sessions you may be lucky. You go to the gym and you have low intensity and very low volume. So basically you do nothing. Sometimes you get a high intensity, low volume, sometimes high volume, low intensity. But sometimes you get a medium, medium, which is hard. But sometimes you get High intensity and high volume day, which is super hard. But again, it's always counterbalanced. So you shock your system one day, and then the following time is going to be different because this 20%, delta 20%, you know, principle forces you, you can't have two hard sessions back to back. That's not going to happen. Yeah. So, the, I've, and I've heard you talk about this before, and you made this analogy, and I like that. Well, a lot of people get the ego in the in the gym and they just want to keep going heavy and heavy and heavy. And, and I think you made the analogy where, well, if I keep doing that by theory, I can, you know, uh, you've been doing this for 40 years. You're like, I can, you know, press the Starship Enterprise and everybody in it because I would could you just never stop going up. But there, you have to undulate going up and down and then you also have to regress as well. And also because, you know, when we think strength, we think about muscles, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, muscle, muscles adapt very quickly. Connective tissue is not as quick. So, you know, and this is one of the main problems. You know that if, if you read stuff about, you know, uh, athlete taking steroids and the injuries, muscular injuries related to steroids, right, is what they took testosterone or other uh, synthetic steroids and so on. They build so much strength and muscle mass. And then at a certain point, the tendons and the ligament gave up. Because they're... So imagine this. If you read any paper or any protocol for, for instance, uh, after an uh, LCA reconstruction, you know, and the rehab protocol, they say that your the ligament is, I think it's in English, Ligamentization, something like that, is complete after two years. What does that mean? It means that the connective tissues, your tendons, your your ligaments, cartilage, uh, bone density, uh, uh, you know, the uh, adapts way slower than the muscle. So if you keep adding, 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 it may not be your muscles that give up at a certain point. You know, maybe your connective tissue. And that leads to problems. So the idea of giving it the right times to each of the parts and deloading every once in a while, and plus, how about the nervous system? You know, there's no strength without nervous system. 
if you cut a peripheral nerve, whatever is after it, it's going to just get paralyzed. So, so it's, uh, it, it's, it's important to wave. You can't push all the time. In fact, well, in the West, they got this. This is why they speak about strength cycling. They call them cycles, right? So you just, you build up, you reach a peak, and then before, you know, once you reach the peak, you got two ways. In any case, next step is down. You got two two ways of going down. Going down with your own on your own feet or rolling down. Mm-hmm. And you don't want the second one. So this is why they had the cycles. The idea that the Soviet had is that, okay, instead of cycling the intensity and going heavy all the time, we'll cycle the volume. How do they peak and go heavy? They just increase the average intensity by reducing the share of the low reps of the low of the uh, uh, reps with low weight and increasing the share of the high. That's pretty much the idea. Yeah, I, I want to get your your thoughts. And when, when we talk about programming, uh, let's let's talk athletes right now. Uh, you know, just a, either a sport athlete, combat athlete, fighting, jujitsu, whatever. You, you hear, especially in the States, there's a lot of people that dub themselves sport or they dub themselves sports specific trainers and they do a lot of uh, uh, flashy stuff and a lot of things. What, what are your thoughts on this sports specific training? Well, this is the idea. My, my idea is the minimal effective dose. You know, this is what you want. You know, training is like is like is like medicine, like 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 a, like a drug, basically. You know, so you don't want to take more than you need. And the reason is, I mean, for instance, my training, I do a lot of volleyball lifts because my training is specific for my training for what I do. I mean, I lift weights, right? But if you're a boxer, if you're a wrestler, a BJJ fighter, if you're whatever climber, you know, that is your goal. So what you do at the gym should help your goal rather than pull you back. So the first thing, you know, and I recall, and you know the um, uh, Powell's book, The Quick and the Dead. Uh, the lady yes. on the cover is a good friend of mine. Uh, and everything started by uh, training her, by the way, you know, Quick and the Dead. And Ilaria, she's a, she's, she, she does weightlifting now. Uh, she used to be a boxer, high-level boxer. And uh, when she came to me, she said, you know, I got to get ready for this match for the European title. And what can I add to my training to get in better shape? I said, well, let's see what we can remove from your training. So she showed me the training plan. It was like, you know, it was a mixture between uh, the uh, training routines for Rocky Fourth and uh, Never Back Down. <laughs> she was doing a whole bunch of stuff. And I said, listen, now, what is your match? Said boxing. Okay. So you need to box. You need to be in the ring. You need to do sparring. You need to work in your combination. This is should be most of your focus. So when you do your your your, your sport specific training, should be the minimal effective dose that allows you more time on the ring, but also doesn't get you that tired. So we removed everything that wasn't necessary. So what we basically do, we do 
We look at the movement patterns that you need for your sports, right? And we try to find some from, from lifts, some exercises that train those movement patterns. Then we look at the, uh, what type of metabolism you need. You need uh, glycolytic, anaerobic, lactic. What do you need? What type of power? Is it uh, how much power do you need? Uh, how long does your effort last? And so on. And we try to train your movement patterns and the metabolisms that you need for, and the qualities that you need for that sport. And all the rest, we take it away. Uh, I like to quote Dan Gable, who was also quoted by Dan John, which was, he used to say, if it's important for you to do it every day, if not, don't do it at all. And we tend to want to do a little bit more, you know. And again, if all I do is bodybuilding, if all I do is, you know, lifting weights and do it for fun and so on, and I want to do an extra set of curls, why not? Do it. It's okay, you know, and sometimes since I don't really train my arms specifically, I just train the main lifts. So, but sometimes, you know, I got my sets of deadlifts and with long rest in between, I just throw a set of curls in between because I do like to have big arms, you know. And nobody, nobody's going to be mad with, you know, well, bigger, bigger pythons. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Why, why not? I mean, uh, but again, guess what? But if I was going back to competing, Everything that's not related to my goal, I would just remove it, you know. And it's, I'm not talking only about training, but I'm talking about everything else. If you don't have a goal, you know, if you don't know where you want to go, any road can take you there. But if you have a goal, you got to make the best road to the goal. So remove all the unnecessary from your training and from your life and focus on that goal, right? Does that make sense? And this is why our, our approach is very minimalist. You know, why do more when you can do less? Uh, the Pareto, you know, the uh, 80 training principle. You get 80% of the results with 20% of the effort. Now, if you got nothing else to do, you want to get 100% and put 100% of the effort? It's okay. But if you have a goal, guess what? That 80% is going to be good for you enough because you got to get your 100% for your goal, your sports, whatever it is, whether it's on a mat, whether it's on a ring, whether it's on a, on a field, wherever that is, this is where you got to give the best. Of course, off-season, GPP, you can do a lot of stuff. So interestingly, as you can start, basically, you know, athletes of different disciplines off-season may do a program that's very similar. But as you get close to your competition, the stuff will be more minimalist, more specific, and more narrow focused. I, I love the approach. And I love that one of the first things that you're talking about is, okay, what can we take out of this? Because I know a lot of athletes who have coaches or trainers and they want to have them go hard and do all these things. And then they get to their sport and they're not performing. Well, you're going to the strength coach to perform better, but yet you were so exhausted. Uh, can, can you kind of talk about uh, going back to the boxer? I think uh, I, I remember reading about it. You've, you only programmed a few movements, correct? Two, two movements. Two movements. What, what were the movements? Uh, one of swing and power push-up on her, on her fists. And <laughs> conversation was, was like this. And it's interesting because I saw her two weeks ago, right? 
conversation is because she showed me the plan that some coach designed for her. It was that long, and it was you know stuck with the man ball, hard time, all type of push up, you know, pull it, pushing the sled, climbing the rope, and so on. Okay, so I said, what do you do it? Boxing. Okay, so first of all, what do you need? And she said, well, I need super powerful hips because, of course, punches start from there. And then she needed basically pressing power. Okay, so I said, and unilateral, of course. So I said, okay, so we can get that by doing warm swings, heavy warm swings. And then I, th I thought about, you know, uh, something that was also explosive, push-ups on the fists. Uh, because, you know, we could do some brick floor press, other stuff, but it's hard to get all that power in. And you got to wreck it. Wreck. So we needed something then. Yeah. I said, okay, how long is our, how long are you, how many rounds do you go? Well, usually, you know, uh, maybe up to 15, but 10 rounds, let's say. Okay. So, and I said, how long is your round? Uh, two minutes. How long do you rest? One minute. Okay. So the idea was, and during the round, what do you do? Well, basically, they jump all around the ring, right? Which is your uh, um, your stamina. You do some, you know, long distance running, whatever you do for that. Uh, and but she said, basically, I got combinations, right? How much? How long do they last? Oh, <laughs> ten seconds, right? And how many? How how long that? How many times that happened during the two minutes of of, of a round? Uh, Three to five times. So you need to be super lucky, powerful yeah. for 10 seconds, three to five times within two minutes, and then get a minute rest. Quicker than that. This is how it came out. So it's, you know, five reps of very heavy, uh, powerful, you know, uh, so very powerful one-arm swings every 30 seconds for two minutes, basically, you know, and then you get a minute, a minute rest, and you do the same with the push-ups. So we're doing something that's very similar to what she needed to do. And we removed the rest because she needed time to study videos of the opponent. Go on the ring, work with a sparring partner, uh, practice some combinations that would surprise the opponent and be ready to and, and create a tactic and a strategy to be able to avoid all the strikes from the opponent and strike the opponent. So her job was something different. She needed to be on the ring. She needed to be working on her sports-related specific skills, right? So the uh, physical prep needed to be the least, you know, the shortest possible. Also because, you know, she had a life and a work and a boyfriend, now her husband and so on. So she had to deal with several things. And so every minute, Every 10 minutes that we took away from without losing effectiveness for her sports specific training was 10 minutes that we could give to what was really important for her. So again, we didn't want to lose effectiveness. This is why we say minimal effective dose. So everything that wasn't necessary, we just removed it. But of course, we kept the necessary. Awesome. What was and important. And with movement, there's this this part of movement and, and and skill development. 
what are your thoughts on the 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 movement itself before loading, you know, exercises? This is interesting. You know, my the way I see it is if you don't master it, you can't train it. You can only practice it. I mean, you know, it's you're learning a squat, you'd say, and your squat isn't good yet. Why do you want to load it? Load it. For instance, the back squat. So it's this progression here. We started with a Zercher squat. So I will train you with overloads with something that is related to the squat pattern that you can do in a with good skill mastery. While I'll have you practice a higher level skill, just practice until you learn it. So for instance, you're doing your goblet squats and you're trying to get stronger there while you're learning your back squat with certain with light weights, you know. The idea is uh, because if you since you learn through repetition, if you keep repeating a movement that you don't own with some overloads, you may get injured, but you also may uh, learn a wrong pattern. So I like the idea. Sometimes, you know, I have, uh, let's say I get power lifters who don't have a good deadlift. The other skills are good, but you're already competing. So, you know, I find an alternative to the deadlift. I pull the deadlift out of our plan. They train the rest and I have them practice and deadlift with a with new, uh, with some, you know, different um, subtleties in their movement until they learn it. And then I put it back in the plan. This is one, one solution. The other solution is start light enough that uh, to allow you to keep a good um, a good technique, good form. Which so put some strength training and practice at the same time. So I start. You start. For instance, let's say I want to. I want you to get stronger in the squat and at the same time master the squat. So I'll start testing your squat with empty bar, right? I get a good movement there. Then I start loading it gradually until you can perform six reps with a weight that I see no compensation in the movement. And I stop as I see that the bar is slowing down. So I find a way that allows you to complete those six reps, right? Not at all out, but with perfect technique, right? And I'll start designing your plan starting with that weight, which means that I know that, let's say, with 100 pounds, you can do a squat, a back squat, very good technique, maintain your technique for six reps, and the bar slows down only at last rep. I'll design a plan for you, and I'll ask you to do, for instance, five to six set of three. So I'm sure you'll do it perfectly. And I'll have you do that like three times a week. You know, So you keep doing the same way, high volume, but always perfect, perfect, perfect. And then probably after a week or two, I'll ask you to keep the same weight, do four reps, same sets, four reps. And then I get you five reps. And then when I see you can do six out of five with your weight, you can do six with good technique, then I'll add a little bit of weight and I go back to three reps and so on. So it's step cycling. So basically you keep the same intensity for several weeks, same weight, that we know you can you master your own, you can do it. I gradually increase the volume. When I get to a point in which I take you to a certain effort, like 80% effort, as far as for the volume intensity, I'm going to increase the weight, jump up the weight, but reduce the volume again. So it's going to be easy for you and you can maintain the same 
movement quality and build it up again gradually. Step cycling is an incredible way of programming that no one wants to do. You know why? Because they don't increase the weight. You know, people want a linear plan because they like the idea of, okay, every week I add, you know, uh, 20 pounds. It's okay for if you're expert enough, but to learn the skill and get stronger at the same time, staying with the same weight for a long, long, long time and practice with that weight and then build up the volume gradually and then increase the weight and start all over again and stay there for months is the way to do it. But, you know, people don't like the idea, uh, but they should. And when people argue that, oh, but this is boring, my reply usually is, are results boring? Because if you get results, you won't get bored. And I always argue this also, you know, everybody in gyms worldwide, Monday do the bench press, you know, in the fitness gyms. And they do it every Monday for 20 years, 30 years, and they keep doing it and never get bored. Why? Because bench press works. They get the results they're looking for, you know, to get good chest and so on. It's enjoyable. It's not too much committing. So if you like it, if you do it with passion, you'll never get bored. I should be bored. It's 41 years almost. I keep doing the same list over and over. And, you know, and I'm still trying to understand how I can squat better. So it, uh, the variability and, and variety, right? you got to have a little bit of the variability and variety in the exercises, but, and, and I actually, I had the privilege of having Brett Jones um, on my podcast and we were talking and, you know, we we're, we we're talking about things of developing skill and focusing on a few things. And um, I don't know, do you know who Kevin Elko is by chance? Kev, he's, a, he's a sports psychologist. Uh, he's, he's, pretty popular uh, amongst um, uh, football teams in America, like uh, American football, not soccer. But uh, he talks about see a little, see a lot, see a lot, see nothing. And just focusing on a few things and really diving into that and getting good versus I'm going to do a bunch of different things, but I'm going to do them pretty shitty. And that's one of the things. And I think Brett has like, he had this quote of, I did a perfect kettlebell swing one time and it was by accident, right? <laughs> it's yeah. just all, always it's, learning and always getting better at the skills. That's true. But you see, it doesn't, you don't have to prevent yourself from doing variety, but you got to keep it for later or add it as a side dish. So I see two ways. Now, for instance, Soviets, that what they used to do, Soviet weightlifters, uh, they would, for beginners and intermediate, they would only, only uh, have them do the, the main lifts. Because every rep that you take away to the main lift to do a variety lift, you, it's, a, it's less opportunity for you to practice and become better in main lifts. Now, when you become advanced, you master the skill. So it takes you less to maintain it. Then you can add variety. So Soviet weightlifters, uh, weightlifting coaches used to know variety uh, to beginners or intermediate. Uh, advanced athletes would start with 20% of their volume into a specialized variety lift. 
lifts, elite up to 50%, but always away from competition. As you go towards competition, you just do your competition lifts. And it makes sense to me. Another way to do it is if you do your main lift and you accomplish all the volume and so on, then if you have time and you're not too tired, then you can add some other variety stuff. That's okay. But that's side dish. Give an example. Uh, I love T-bone steaks. I just, I eat huge amount of those. And over here, we get some very good ones. So let's say I go to a restaurant, steakhouse, and I use the example of T-bone steaks, not to be disrespectful towards those who don't eat meat, but just because it's really expensive, right? So if you get a good T-bone steak over here, you get like some like kilo point two, something like that, you get $150 steak, right? And you get your potato and your broccoli on the side. I get to the restaurant, and I got my T-bone steak, and I got my potatoes and my broccoli, right? And I feel I can't eat all. What do I give up? Do I give up the steak for the potatoes and the broccoli? Or do I give up the broccoli and the potatoes and I finish my steak? I keep the steak. And it's also a matter of how much it costs to you. So to bring this to the, this idea to the training, do your main lift work. You still have time and space and you, know, you feel fresh and so on. You want to add a variety of lift at the end? Do it. That's all good. But if you realize there's no space for it, don't give up your foundational you know, uh, lifts for a variety. If you take it with this, you know, with this mindset, it's going to work. And I'll give you one personal example. Again, I'm testing something that I, for bodybuilders right now. So my plan is structured this way. I train six movements. I'm training bench press, military press, pull-ups, handlay row, squat, and deadlift, right? So my session number one, number three, is the upper body. So what I basically do, day one, this is what I'm going to do today. I'm going to do heavy bench press, right? And heavy rows. And then I'm going to do light military press and light pull-ups. At the end, I'm doing variety exercises for my heavy lift, for my bench and my rows. So I'm going to do dumbbell bench and uh, one arm rows. And I do them high reps to exhaustion for some hypertrophy. So on what I'm going to do on session number three, which is going to be Thursday, uh, Thursday, I'm going to do the opposite. It's going to be my heavy military press and my heavy pull-ups with my light bench press and row. And then I'm going to do some cannibal, double cannibal military press with so too close to exhaustion and some chin-ups close to exhaustion. So what I'm doing basically, I'm adding the extra stuff at the end, right? And then tomorrow is gonna be my squat, heavy squat day, followed by light deadlift. And then I'm gonna go back to front squat and I'm gonna go, you know, high reps and exhaustion. And I'm gonna reverse the things for my deadlift, heavy deadlift on Friday and, now, where I want to get to, if I travel and uh, I have to train during lunch break, I don't have much time and stuff like that, as it happened in Mexico lately, guess what I give up? I give up the final specialized variety exercises 
with high reps for hypertrophy because my goal is getting strong and my main lifts are there and the rest is fun. To me, you know, as you know, again, no one is disappointed looking good, you know, in a bathing suit in front of a mirror. So a little bit of hypertrophy work, higher reps and so on, I do it at the end. But again, it's not my main goal, it's my side dish. My T-bone steak is my heavy work. So I have time to do it. I'm home just until Thursday. I can do all the lifts. I do it. I have to cut something. I cut the sides and I keep my main course. That's awesome. And just and having the balance, right? Of, of You're doing your work and this is what your focus is and here's your goal and just being intuitive about uh, taking things out. And, uh, and again, um, you always hear this saying, uh, more isn't better. Better is better. Better is better. The the last thing I want to talk about before we kind of segue um, into the end here is I heard as I was kind of just going through some of your podcasts and, and some of the information you put out there, you talked about visualization and visualization um, when people are going to like hit a PR or they're stepping up to the, the bar for a deadlift. And, and, and how that differs when the weight changes? Uh, well, it's here, here's the point. Uh, you're talking about the uh, creating that ritual, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, give a couple of examples. Uh, there, there are two. There is a friend of mine from Israel. Uh, he got, uh, he competed until a year ago before, and, and he uh, he got the national squat record in his category for Israel, so he's a strong guy. And um, he was training very good at the gym, and every time he would, go to, he would go to compete, he wouldn't do his PR, would fail the third attempt or anything like that, you know, and we had, now I was helping with programming, but I, I don't, I'm not at the meets, right? I don't see him, so I had to interview him. At a certain point, I I ask him, okay, so when you train at the gym, he goes, well, when the gym is closed, there's no one there. Okay. And what's your power at? Is one of those rigs that are in front of the, attached to a wall, right? So he would train his squat, you know, facing the wall with no music, no disruption, no destruction, no people around and seeing the wall in front of him, like very close to him, right? But, well, but we, when he competes, and the same for the other lift, he would be alone, right? But when he competes, he ends up in a, in a hall, crowded hall, facing all the crowds, having a long view rather than just a wall in front of him, music, people making noise and distracting him, right? And also his gaze would change, not having a wall, but having longer horizon right in front of him. So I said, well, you know what you need to do? when you get ready to close the competition, these last four weeks, you need to find the time the gym with the most people, most noise, you know, most confusion, loud music, turn facing the crowd rather than facing the wall and be used to be able to focus with all the possible distractions. And he got the record after that because we need to recreate the same conditions in his training as the competition. So, uh, and this comes from a friend of mine, uh, his name is Andrea Favoretto, he's a mental coach, and he was talking about interferences, which is, 
you know, and I say this, when you practice with medium light weights or whatever, I don't know why I see all this stuff in my background. I probably <laughs> It reads my. I, it's like with your your hand gestures. You were creating hearts yeah, earlier. I need a heart. <laughs> does it again. No, he doesn't do it anymore. I have no idea. I mean, I just think <laughs> to my computer, so I have no idea how I did this. In any case, going back to you, um, when you uh, when you train with light medium with free practice, you should think about what you're doing. But when you do a PR or anything, you should just you should not think. You should just do the lift. The more you think, the more you panic, the less chances you, you get to do it, right? And the so the idea is stop thinking then. But the problem is, how can you stop thinking? Because you did all the thinking with lightweights. So if you keep repeating something, thinking about it with light and medium weights, repeating over and over as a ritual, identical, right? You, you learn it. You memorize it. It becomes an engram in your cortex, right? So this allows you to do without thinking. It's like you walk every day. When you were a kid, you had to think about where to put your feet, right? Now you don't have to think about it. When you when you sit in the car and turn the engine on, you do several sequence of things. You don't think about it. They just happen naturally. They're automated, right? And how did you learn them? By repetition. So the idea is you need to repeat whatever you want to do when you lift the maximum weight. Also, with when you train or practice with lighter weights. So this is the idea. What I said is, uh, I say, let's say that you approach the bar for the squat. I approach it always from the same side. I put myself on the left of the bar. I do always the same number of steps. I place the hands on the bar in the same order with the same sequence. I mean, I created a sequence that no matter the weight, it's identical all the time. It never changes, right? The way I step in the bar, the way I approach, the way I walk back, the number of steps, everything is identical. Because if I do it always the same, it becomes an automation. So when it's heavy, I don't need to think about it. I just do what I feel, right? And one example of this is, when I teach barbell worships, you know, one trick I like to play is I load the bar with two 10, uh, 10 pounds plates, bumpers on the side. Everybody can lift it, right? And it's everybody, okay, do one rep, everybody, rotation. Everybody just lift it. Just, just go there. They don't think. Then I load the bar with everything I can. I said, okay, everybody go lift it. Oh, I can't lift that. No worries. Try. So eventually sometimes someone lifts it sometimes. But everybody... Even if they know they know they can't lift it, they spend a lot of time in setting up. And I explain, okay, so your approach is wrong. You should spend a lot of time setting up when it's light and just go there and lift it when it's heavy. If you need to think when it's heavy, it means you have no idea what to do because you haven't practiced anything with lightweights. So back to the discussion and this mental coach, we did an experiment. It was just no scientific because we just did it for with some of my uh, students and myself. So we all did a plan strong plan. I think there were uh, 10 of them, of us. And we all tested, uh, when we all tested, uh, when we tested the bench, what we did in 50% of us, we always trained, we had 
the uh, uh, box, the ball with the chalk right here. Then we have a few steps to reach the bench. So we would chalk, walk towards the bench, set up and do the lifts, right? And we did this for the entire two months of the plant's role play, all of us. Now, when we did the test, me and other four, we moved the ball with the chalk close to the bench. So instead of being chalk, walk, set up, lift, it was walk, chalk, set up, lift. Now, interestingly, all those who didn't change the sequence got a PR. Uh, out of those who didn't who changed the sequence, only one got a PR. Uh, three repeated the same weight as before. And one, me, I couldn't lift the weight I did two months earlier, probably the oldest one. So that little change in the procedure screwed me up completely, you know? So the idea is because you practice something and it becomes an automation, you get this interference, you get a distraction and you can't do the lift. And the more advanced you are, by the way, the more this affects you, in my opinion. Because at a certain point, with certain weights, you need to, you need to see only the bar. I mean, and then there were other exercises that my coach, you know, that my friend mental coach told us about visualization, only seeing the bar, uh, seeing. If you, there is a lot in uh, Judd Baez Yato's book, Psych, about this, you know, in the way you, way you focus, the way you visualize and so on. I'm not a big expert in this, but what I know is that it's not only about your technique in, in the movement, it's everything related so from the setup to the set down. You must practice this over and over and always the same to make it better. So the only change you may apply is when you find a way to make it better, you know, and listen to your body, feel, for instance, in the squat, what do you feel on your feet? What do you feel in your hips? What do you feel in your back? What do you feel in your neck? What do you feel in your hands? And try to remember all the feelings, you know, and try to make it better and see what, what changes in your feeling when you do a bad rep versus when you do a good rep. So for instance, if you squat or deadlift and you have a bad rep, you can feel by, oh, I loaded the anterior part of my foot more and I deloaded my heels, or I felt that I loaded the inner part of my foot more than the outer part, so probably my knees gave in, so on. If you get that, you know, but you need to do that as you're training for volume with moderate weight and moderate effort. This is one of the reasons for which you want to train with medium intensity, medium efforts, because when you train with high intensity and high effort, you don't have room for those feelings or for thinking about that. You just need to lift. You're scared. You panic. You can't analyze what you're doing. So there is a space for that, a space for the time, but it's not always. Most of the work should be conscious, purposeful, you know? That's, it's, it was such a great, and that, that's what I walked away. I walked away with a ton of knowledge from SFL, but one of the things that I walked away from and, and you were mentioning as we we're going through the certification, you know, if the bar is slanted and you approach the bar and you're square and the bar isn't, don't move the bar. It's going to mess up your setup. And, you know, you get lined up to the bar. And now when I get my setups for 
you know, my bench and I'm tucking the shoulder blades and, and I got my hand placement. If and that, that happens in the warm up set in the, you know, as I'm progressing to heavy weight, if I, if I feel that I've staying there way too long, I'm out of my sequence. I just stop now and I just walk off and I shake it off where some people are like, I'm, I'm here. I'm going to lift it. But, but I think it, know. yeah, yeah. It, it's, it has really changed. I mean, it took away a lot of things, but when I walk up for a deadlift and I get set up and I, and if I feel like I'm staying there too long, I back away because I want it to be that purposeful and have the intention and not change. And, and it, for me, especially, and, and my clients too, I think we've seen a lot of improvement ju- just in that little piece of the the sequencing of stepping up to a bar or a bench or whatever it may be. And look at all competition, all professionals. You, If you see, they each one of them has developed their sequence and it's always the same, always the same. And they, they found what works best for, for, for them, you know. I like the idea, I like saying that, you know, beginners need to learn the rules, you know, intermediate apply the rules and advanced make their own. But it's very unlikely that you see a professional in different competitions using a different approach or in the, in the free attempts. So you just see them doing the same thing over and over because that's what works for them, you know. And, uh, and again, you, you, need, you need to have the courage to do it, you know, to step back sometimes and just, no, I'm not doing the lift. I got to reset and think about it. Or would say uh, not to be lazy because sometimes it's laziness. Okay, I'm here. Let's do it, you know. Uh, but, you know, again, you can eat any mushroom once. Sometimes, you know, you, you're just lazy. You don't set up properly. And this is the way you get injured. And you don't want that. Again, one little, you know, it's one little uh, mistake may compromise your training for months. It's unavoidable. We'll all make mistakes, but we can still try to avoid as many as we can, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as we segue, uh, kind of to the end here, I want to talk about you and how is your weight loss journey going? <laughs> well, I'm going to post some, I lost some more. I'm, um, in kilos, I'm 88.5. I was 88.5 yesterday. So, so starting weight was 96, almost 96. Goal was 85. Oh, wow. So I'm, oh, I'm, I'm getting close to it. You know, it's here's interesting. I, I tend to gain fat, and I'm always conscious about what I eat. But I travel a lot. So what happens is that I realize this. I need kind of a strict like three months of diet every two years. I get back to, you know, my 85, 83. I get back in shape. I can see my six packs and so on. And I then I eat well, but gradually I had my cheat meals, of course. Gradually, in two years, I start gaining gradually. So I have my alarm. When I get over 92 kilos, I know it's time for a diet again. So what I do, I take a month in which I eat whatever I want. So you get even more. And then I just get on a diet. It's not a hard diet. I mean, I eat well, but uh, it's needed. And the goal is uh, 54th birthday, which is going to happen in November 18th. Awesome. I want to put a photo with six packs, you know, visible. Oh, yeah. I did it, <laughs> I did it at my second birthday. So I want to do one at 54, showing that age is just a number. It's not true, but I'll try <laughs> myself that age is just a number 
Yeah, I love the the videos. You step on the scale, you're like, ah, not what I wanted. <laughs> you step off the scale, you're like, I got some work to do, but uh, I'm I'm rooting for you. I I, I hope you get but where you, know you want. Why to I go. did that? Was you that? Know, I'm not a social media guy, really. Now uh-huh. I, I hired someone now who helped me with it because I'm terrible. I never have time. I don't like to do it. You know. So I have my, my company does the marketing for my strong first events in Italy here. And I have this um, lady, she's great. And she's now helping me putting some posts for me. So just give her the material and she does it. But there's only one reason for which I'm talking about my diet plan. So I stick to it. Oh, so you see, oh, a little accountability. I, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not an influencer. I don't have many followers. I mean, I have, but I said in public, that I'm going to lose weight, stick to a diet, and I want to get 85. Now I said it, I can't back off. Otherwise, you know, people all across the world are going to say, hey, hey, I thought you were on a diet. What are you doing? <laughs> I, even coaches need to be accountable to, you know, that I, I love it. And what's what's coming up for, for you? Whether uh any any new project, I think you just came out with a deadlift. Um project but any new projects or big certifications coming up yeah a few things so we launched the that de- knocking that deadlift video which i'm very proud of uh i like it very much there are also good plans there which is on the app skilltrain.com and stronger.com the app uh on our online store and uh i did for stronger fit the uh, platform i had the build strong minimalist plan i did the uh, pts4 and 6 so the complete one which came out, I think, last month, which is good. But now the main thing is, you know, two weeks from now, we're teaching together with Pavel and Hector Gutierrez, the Programming the Mystified Seminar in Phoenix. And, you know, every time teaching with uh, Pavel is, you know, feel like you're here. And- <laughs> uh, so it's, it's, uh, it's scary. It's scary, but I'm excited about it very much. And then I got certs until the end of the year. I'm planning on updating the curriculum and the manual for Build Strong and Plan Strong for 2024. I'm working on it to see if I can get new material on. So that's another thing. And um, uh, together with Brett Jones, we're working on updating the SFL manual with some new sections. So you should consider coming to assist. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to be, I know Chicago, I think I'm doing, I wanted to go to um, New York to do um, uh, kettlebell level two, C- couldn't couldn't make it, but I might do level two um, in Chicago when they come back. Oh, so see you over there. Yeah, I'll, I'll but, be over yeah. there. But if not this one, uh, consider coming to assist, there's some new, new material coming up. And also, yeah. trust me. When you assist, you learn even more than when you take the cert first time because you, you're not think, you're not concerned about your test, right? So you're you focus more, and the second time you you get more and more and more, and some things you know become more clear. And also, you know, I again I try to learn new things, so I try to bring new stuff on the table all the time. So yeah, I've had I've had a couple of strong first in- instructors on the podcast, and they've talked about and. Each one of them have mentioned uh, how much they learn when they assist, and oh, yeah. and, mm-hmm. it, and it's it's night and day because, like you said, I'm not worried about really myself or making the lifts or um, being certified or not. You're there to 
assist the the people and the clients that are there, but you you are just taking in those little pieces, those nuggets of information that you're like, oh wow, I gotta use that. I gotta have that. Uh well, but Fabio, thank you very much. Um, I'll do a I'll do a quick closeout and then um I'll stop the recording and I'll just give you a send-off on the uh other end. But thank you for everybody who's listened to the Primal Foundations podcast and we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you all for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe, like, and share. See you all next time on the Primal Foundations podcast.